0: So if I were to list the names of a few men, I wonder if you would know what these men had in common. Men such as George Clymer, John Hart, Carter Braxton, Robert Morris, and James Smith. What do these men have in common? Does anybody have a clue as to what these men had in common? What if I added a few more names to this list, such as Thomas Jefferson, Benjamin Franklin, John Adams, Samuel Adams, and John Hancock? Now, do you know what these men might have in common at this point? They were part of the Continental Congress, they were the signers of the Declaration of Independence on July 4th, 1776. In fact, all of these men were part of that group of signers. There were 56 different signers to this document. And in 1981, there was a New York Times article that noted that this group was a fascinating cross-section of the late 18th century America. Went on and said, some were great men, some were not. The signing of this document, I I think we would all agree, is a really big deal. It was a really big deal, and it continues to be a really big deal. For two and a half centuries, it's been a big deal. But many of the men, even the significant ones, such as George Clymer and Robert Morris, who you probably don't know what they did, but they had significant roles in that time period. Even significant ones, Are somewhat forgotten over time but does that diminish their role does that diminish their significance well absolutely not well when thinking about the people that that we find here on the pages of Scripture you know there are a lot of these people that we can remember Some of those main characters of the Bible. You know, I think if I said Adam and Eve, all of you would know kind of who I'm talking about, right? Or or maybe Noah or Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau, Joseph, and all those other brothers. Why don't we remember all the other brothers? Or, Or if I said Peter, Andrew, James, and John, you would know these are Jesus' disciples. But can you name the other eight? Did that mean... Yeah, David tried a few months ago, if you remember. Um, Thank you for your confession, brother. But does that mean that they're less significant or less important? Absolutely not. You know, there, there are also people in Scripture that really don't have a significant role, but for whatever reason, we remember who they are. You know, there's a, there's a, a false prophet of sorts that, um, you know, kind of a soothsayer, if you will, that probably all of you, if I said his name, you would know something about his life. His name was Balaam. You know anything about Balaam? Well, yeah, his donkey turned around and talked to him in the scripture. It's kind of an amazing story. We remember Balaam because of that. Or, or what about Ehud? That, that's, a, that's a little bit of a, a strange name, but it's one that I've always remembered since I was a child. Because God used Ehud in a very special way. And the only qualification that Ehud had, that's hard to say. Do you know what it is? He was left-handed. <laughs> and he used Ehud to deliver the Israelites from the oppression of King Eglon. Or, or what about this one, um, Jabez. Jabez, now I know George Redden knows all about Jabez because he's the one who introduced me to Jabez about 25 years ago. It's been a while since, since all, you know. But Jabez is a man that's found in the middle of a l- huge list of names. And there's just a simple little verse there about Jabez that tells us about the kind of man he was. Um, It's in 1 Chronicles if you want to check it out. Um, I don't know if you, you know, if you go through your Bible and you read your Bible uh, on a regular basis, you'll know 1 Chronicles is a difficult book. Especially the first nine chapters. Now most of you probably know Matthew chapter 1 it's filled with a whole bunch of names, right? Uh, I was talking with my son yesterday and uh, he was telling me about his Life of Christ uh, uh, class that he's taking in Bible college right now. And he was talking about the teacher, Dr. Porter, was t- telling them about the significance of some of the names that are found in Matthew 1. And how a lot of times people skip over that section because names are they're just names. There's nothing to learn from it. Well, if you're unfamiliar with 1 Chronicles chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9, it's a list of names. Jabez is in the middle of that list. Well, there are other names in the Bible that we remember uh, just because they're weird. Uh, One of the the greatest set of names, a couple of brothers... They were actually Abraham's nephews. Do you know what Abraham's nephews were named? You really should. Uz and Buzz because those were the names of some of our characters in Bible school this past summer. Uz and Buzz those are those are Bible names. I don't know much about more about them except for the cool names that they have well. In the book of Nehemiah that we've been studying now for the last couple of weeks and we looked at last fall, the first half of it, there are several places in this book that there are long lists of names uh, for different reasons each time. Sometimes talking about who was serving where or making commitment or or, different things. Some of these names are very prominent. Ezra is a prominent name. Nehemiah, of course, a prominent name. But many of the names that we find here in the book of Nehemiah are names that really have no significant meaning to us today. And so, as a result, we often get to these sections of scripture and we just skip right over them. Well, sometimes we wonder why they're even there. I don't want to dive too deep into the names this morning, uh, to be honest with you. Uh, But I did want to point out that these are here for a reason. I think it's, it's important for us to recognize what that reason is. Recognize the role that genealogies and censuses play in the historical reliability of the Bible. You see, the people that are listed here are actual human beings that lived a full life and died. And God saw fit that their name be included in his holy word. That's significant. That's significant. It was a person recognized by God. Well, last week we saw a section of scripture similar to this in nehemiah chapters 9 and 10 that we looked at last week we focused on 77 verses well today we're going to look at 83 um but a lot of these as i've mentioned are are filled with names of individuals who are important to the bible's historicity or the reliability or validity of the Bible. They provide the Bible with validity. Um, But today our goal is not so much to look at these names and and talk about the who of these names. We're not going to focus on who these individuals were but more we're going to focus on what they did that warranted their inclusion in Holy Scripture. Now when we finished last week The congregation of people who had come together in Jerusalem had just humbly confessed their sins and repented of their evil ways. And as a sign of their commitment to God, all of them joined together and made a covenant or made a promise to God to observe and do all the commandments of our Lord or of the Lord, our Lord and his rules and his statutes. That's found in chapter 10. Verse 29, they made a promise that, God, we're going to obey everything that you've told us through your word. In fact, chapter 9, verse 38 says that they made this a firm covenant in writing. They wrote it down, they made a promise, and then they sealed it, which is the equivalent of us signing our name to the dotted line. They made a promise, they made a commitment, and they were serious About their commitment to the Lord well now we come to chapter 11 and what we're going to see today is the result of that covenant and how it impacted the lives of these people now to be honest many people pay lip service to following God they they say that they are committed they're committing their whole life uh, completely to God But folks, commitment rarely comes about when there's not effort and sacrifice that's got to back that up. And so as we pray this morning, asking God to show us truth from his word, we pray open our eyes so that we can see wonderful things in your law. We pray, God, search my heart. Know. Let me know what grievous things there are inside of me. We've also got to pray, Lord, help me not just hear the things that you have for us today, but let me be a doer of those things. Let me make it a serious commitment in my life. So let's take a few minutes this morning and see how they obeyed the lord in nehemiah chapter 11 and because we're going over 83 verses i'm not reading all 83 verses but we will just read our passage in sections this morning with each point so beginning in chapter 11 we'll read the first two verses the bible says now the leaders of the people lived in jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in jerusalem the holy city while nine out of ten remained in in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. Now what we find here, now that the wall of the city is finished, they needed people to move into the city of Jerusalem and inhabit that city. One commentator, David Guzik, noted this. He said, for a city to prosper and be great, it must be populated. And for more than 70 years, Jerusalem had been nothing but a ghost town. Now, over the last 80, eight or so years, not 80, last eight or so years, it's been repopulated with a new temple built under Ezra, and the walls have been rebuilt under Nehemiah, but the city still needed more people. So the people were committed to obey the Lord and all that he was commanding them to do, right? So they submitted to this plan that Nehemiah had shared with them. Now notice the leaders of the people, Nehemiah and the other leaders were already living in that city. They were modeling for them what they wanted them to do. And so the plan was that they were going to cast lots, or you might even call it a lottery, you know. Throw throw everybody's names in the the hat and we're picking one out of every 10 families to go and live in the city. It was a drawing, if you will. And so in the end, there was basically 10% of the population of the Province of Judah that was moving from out in the country moving into the city to populate that city now Today we're going to be focused on this concept of renewal requiring commitment Uh, Here in the beginning of chapter 11, we see a commitment by all of these people to submit themselves to this plan to relocate, to go, you know, give up their country farmhouse where they've been uh, shepherding flocks and, and you know, ranchers, farmers out in the country enjoying the, the country lifestyle and they're committed to move into the city. I mean think about it, for over 1600 years now in the family of Abraham or the people of Israel, they've been shepherds. They have raised flocks. Cities are not the place necessarily that this family wants to be. But now Nehemiah is asking them to give up their existing homes and move in to the city of Jerusalem. So the first thing that we see in this process of revival and renewal is that it brought a commitment to uproot their family. Because of the revival and renewal that was in their hearts, it caused, it resulted in a commitment to uproot family. I wonder this morning, are we willing to uproot our families to go wherever it is that God is leading us? I mean, frankly, this is... I wish that this point was at the end of our text, to be honest, because I'd like to build up to this point, because this is next level commitment. The willingness to say, God, wherever you want me to go, wherever you want me to be, that's where I'm going to go. That's next level commitment. Folks, many people in our community today are not even willing to be inconvenienced by God or his plans. Let alone being willing to uproot your family and start over. Being fully committed to God results in a willingness to follow God no matter what. Even when it does not make sense, still you choose to trust that God is in control of this. And I love what it says here in verse 2. It says, "And the people blessed all the men who were who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem." They cast lots. They had a drawing to pick. But not one of them does it say reluctantly obeyed. They willingly obeyed. You know, when I think about This concept of uprooting family, obviously my mind goes back to 2002 when Joanna and I took our one-year-old and our five-year-old and we moved to Southeast Asia. Um, You know, (laughs) I was 29 years old at that time, so yes, now you know I'm 49. Um, And so the question is, was I living by faith? I'm looking at my in-laws here. Was I living by faith or was I just stupid? You know? Did I I trust in God that this was his plan or was I just blissfully unaware and ignorant of all the inherent dangers that came about by taking two white, one blonde-headed child Uh, Into a country that that was an anomaly at best or at worst. I mean it was They just loved playing with my children. We'd walk through the mall and people we didn't know would say hi Carly. Hi, Caleb (laughs) Who are you and how do you know my children? John you would have really freaked out over there in that situation (laughs) I think um, I Don't know I believe with all my heart, that was God's will for us. And I don't know if I was just blissfully unaware of the difficulties that, that were inherent there. Um, but I will say this, and I said it then, and I'll, I'll continue to say it today. Um, the safest place in the world that you can be is in the middle of God's will. And you know, n- you know as a result of our time, our 12 years in the Philippines, our family's very strange, you know, but um, we, were, we were well taken care of, God provided for us. But you know what, maybe today, you're not being asked to, to move a, around the world, and, and, but are we willing to uproot family? I'm reminded of another story that just uh, blows my mind, to be honest, you know, it's one thing for, a a preacher to make a decision to to move to another church another state another country but back in 2015 a church that i used to serve on staff at in conway arkansas antioch baptist church uh, did something that was pretty amazing or started something that was pretty amazing Um, you see in 2015 the church hired a young man named andy comer to come in and be, I think, what they called a church planting intern or church planter in training. I'm not exactly sure what they called Brother Andy, but he came to Antioch and spent two years at Antioch learning the culture of the church so that the church could send him out as a church planter. Um, During those two years... Andy was learning from the the pastor, the staff, the the way that the church was working, and because they wanted someone who knew the DNA of their church to go and plant another church uh, that would be a daughter church to them. And so over those two years, Andy cast the vision for this new church plant on a regular basis. He would talk to people about what he was going to do, and he knew where he was going to do it. He was going to go to a suburb of Austin, Texas, which Andy's from Texas, so it it worked, Um, you know. But he was going to Austin to a place called Georgetown, Texas, and he cast this vision uh, for, for what they were going to do and how Antioch was going to be the mother church to give birth to this new church in Texas. In 2017, when they launched this new church plan, there was a team of people that went with Andy. 25 adults out of Antioch Church in Conway moved to Georgetown, Texas to start that church. Andy was doing it because that was his job. But all those others Uprooted their families who were very settled in Conway, Arkansas. Found new jobs and new homes in Austin, Texas. In order to fulfill the call of God in their lives. And one of the most amazing things to me that that took place. um, I, I commend the pastor, Jason Altman, for this. Because when Andy started this process of casting vision and recruiting people to join him, Brother Jason told him, no one, no one is off limits. You can recruit anyone that that God leads you to. The youth pastor from Antioch Conway moved to Austin, Texas with him. I got to be honest. I think if I were Brother Jason, I'd get upset about that one. (laughs) You know, don't take staff too, but... That's what they did. Um, five years later, the church is, is thriving. In fact, today in Georgetown, Texas, they have worship services at 9 o'clock, 1030, and noon. Now, I, I need to talk to Andy and figure out how he does 9 o'clock, 1030, and noon. I can see 9 o'clock and 1030, but by noon, it's time to eat lunch. So... Um, I'm not sure how he handles that, but he's a much smaller guy than me, so maybe that's how. What an amazing story. And you may be sitting there and it's like, I I, I wouldn't ever do that. My question to you is, is, what is God asking you to do for him that you are unwilling to do? Because frankly, folks, there should be nothing on the table that is beyond what you're willing to do. Whatever it is that God's asking, you should be willing. Even if that means uprooting your family, moving off out from the farm into the city just so that the city can be once again inhabited and grow and prosper and be protected An unwillingness to obey the Lord is caused by a heart that is not experiencing revival and renewal on a daily basis. If you are being strengthened by the Lord day by day, as 2 Corinthians 4.16 tells us, if you're being renewed by the Lord day by day, then you will, it will be a natural result that you will be committed to the Lord as well, even if that meant uprooting your family. Now the rest of chapter 11 and the beginning of chapter 12 describe all the different uh, places in the land of Judah and who lived there and how many people there were in their clan and But the next action in this sequence of events that we see, we find in the middle of chapter 12. If you would, look at Nehemiah 12, and let's read verse 27. The Bible says, And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgiving, And with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. So here they are the dedication of the wall, a time of celebration. You see, renewal results in a commitment to worship together. Renewal results in a commitment to worship together. Folks, worship was important to them. They gathered all the Levites together from all points around the country, gathered them together to celebrate the dedication with gladness and thanksgiving and with singing and with a bunch of instruments, cymbals, harps, and lyres, which we had drums. And a piano is very much like a harp. Just you pluck a harp and you strike a piano. Well, not this piano, but it's electric. Don't tell anyone. Um, A lyre is a stringed instrument very similar to a guitar. They came together and they worshiped. You see, revival and renewal result in a commitment to worship God together. Together. And that has not changed. If you are being renewed day by day, Monday through Saturday, if you're spending time with the Lord each day, you're going to want to be here on Sunday. Thank you, Brother George. Amen! Renewal brings a commitment to worship. Now, when I was growing up, uh, my commitment to worship did not come from daily renewal in the Word of God. My commitment to worship came from John Henry Allen. Because there was no option with my dad. We were going to church. I think my oldest sister, Amanda, made the mistake one time of asking if we were going to church. Um, That was like... The worst thing you could ever say to my father. What do you mean? Are we going to church? Of course we're going to church. We're having church this morning. Why? We're going to be there. It was never a question in my home. Even when we went on vacation. I can't tell you. Oh, well, there's, there's one story that's amazing. You know, we're, we're part of the Baptist Missionary Association of America, right? And so a lot of our churches are missionary Baptist churches. And so we're driving through Alabama once, uh, one weekend and we uh, find a missionary Baptist church in some little town in Alabama. And we walk in and we discover, this is probably not one of our churches. <laughs> and I was very small at this time. I just, I've heard the stories from others, but. Uh, one of the, the deacons of that church said, can I help you folks? Are you looking for, and we told him, we're looking for such and such Baptist church. And that's what's on the missionary Baptist church. And that's the name on the sign. He said, oh, there's another such and such missionary Baptist church across town. If that's the one you're looking for, I can give you directions. <laughs> and, and so we did, we went there. You know, I can't tell you how many times I went to church in Hollister, Missouri. Why? Because we were vacationing in Branson. But every Sunday morning, no matter what, we were in church somewhere. Because that was a commitment that my father made to God and therefore that commitment was passed on to us. Whether we liked it or not, that commitment was passed on to us. Folks, When we make other things more important than church in our families, we should not be surprised when our children do not make church a priority. Joe and I are empty nesters. We're assuming that this summer was the last summer that Caleb is uh, ever going to live there. Carly's out and um, she's very happy to be out. Uh, Carly and I are better friends now that she moved out. Um, At this point in time, I I have no control over the decisions that my adult children make. I can advise, but I, I, I have no control over those decisions. But you know what? I can say without any hesitation that I know my children are going to be in church. I can say without any hesitation that my siblings and their husbands are going to be in church. All my nibblings. Do you know that word, nibbling? I don't know if it's a real word, but I use it all the time. My nephews and nieces. My niblings are in church this morning, folks. Their spouses are in church. Their, their kids, that, the two that have kids, they're in church this morning. Why? Because my dad made a commitment that church was not an option. It wasn't an option. I know that there are some who are watching me through this camera that is sitting here in the middle of the room. And you know what, watching our services online is an amazing option for those who are sick and for those who are shut in. But let me just say, I I don't know who's watching this morning. I don't know who may watch this in the future, but let me say it cannot ever replace what happens here in this Place when we're all together. You know, it's a new year for schools, but it's also a new year for churches. Our our operational year is from September to August, and today is the it is the last Sunday in August, isn't it? Thank you. Uh, Next year, uh, next week, next week starts a new year. I wonder if you would make a commitment as a family, make a commitment to worship together every Sunday in this church or, or in a church of like faith wherever you might be traveling. But will you make a commitment that church is not an option? I know a lot of you have but there are some who still need to make that commitment. Well, let's notice what happens in this next paragraph when they gather together in Jerusalem for worship. Look at verse 38. Oh, I'm sorry, verse 31, and then we'll jump down to 38. Nehemiah is writing and he says, "'Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall "'and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks one went to the south on the wall to the dung gate and then down in verse 38 he says the other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north and i followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and above the gate of ephraim and by the gate of yeshanah and by the fish gate and the tower of hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate and they came To a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And I and half the officials with me. And then it names the officials. Now look at verse 43. And they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. When we experience renewal, there is a commitment to lead in worship. It results in a commitment to lead in worship, we've already said this, but folks, music was an important part of worship in the Old Testament, and instruments are awesome. And it talks in the Old Testament about all different types of instruments that they used in the worship of the Lord. But the distinguishing factor of worship music is the song lyric. Even in instrumental music, which I I absolutely love listening to to Pastor John play his saxophone. Um, And he does that every now and then. And he'll be playing something that I recognize the tune that he's playing. But you know what? I'm not thinking just about the notes that he's playing. I'm thinking about the words that go with those notes. Otherwise, it's beautiful music, but it's not worship music. Worship music is all about what the words are saying. When we worship, the words we're singing must be heard. I mean, it's great to have a band, but if we can't hear the vocalist, then it's, it's noise. It's not worship music. Because what's important it's the words of the song. Now, let me hasten to say, I'm not saying the musicians that are instrumentalists are unimportant. If I said that, I would be in trouble when I went home. Okay? I love, I love, love how God has blessed us with the musicians that he has. You, if, if you don't travel Uh, And visit other churches. Um, A church our size to have the musicians that we have is almost unheard of. Um, We are blessed to have amazing musicians. But all of them will tell you as well. It does not matter if they're heard if the words of the music are not heard. Because it's the words of the music that are worship. Make it worship music. So they must be heard. The words must be understood. And by the way, the words that matters must be theologically correct. What we sing must represent what is found here in God's word. And frankly, there's a lot of music on Christian radio today that does not represent The word of god accurately and so you might have one of your favorite songs that you sing in the car as you're driving to and from work and that's great but we may not sing that song depending on what it is and who it's by you see folks choosing the music that we sing each time that we come together for worship Choosing that music is one of the most important things that happens in this place each week. And I'm very thankful for the work that Brother David does in prayerfully considering what what God is leading him to do in choosing that music. Um, He does a, a fantastic job. Nehemiah understood the importance of singing and the, the choir, the singers that were to lead in this worship celebration. He, he realized it was so important that he didn't have one choir, but he had two. He sent one to the south and he sent the other to the north and they, they walked around that new wall singing and worshiping the Lord and leading others in worship. And by the way, I I, I want to not just commend our musicians and our worship pastor. I want to commend you this morning. Because, folks, what we do up here each Sunday when we come together and worship, this is not a concert. This this is not something that you come and watch. This is something that you come and participate in. Because it's not worship if you're not participating. And I love, one of our favorite things, David and I discussed this this week, there are some times that he's playing his guitar and he just stops singing. And, um, you know, I was like, well, did you forget the words, David? What's going on, you know? No, that would be me. I would forget the words. I do that all the time. But he he shared, and I've done this as well. There are times when the volume that is coming from that side of the room this way far exceeds what we are projecting that way, even with the, the use of our sound system, because you are worshiping. It's participatory. And that's why it told us that they all joined in and rejoiced that day. And the joy of Jerusalem was heard from far away. That's awesome. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 15 says, Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips. That acknowledge his name. You see folks when we sing. When we offer up that sacrifice of praise. We are honoring God. And acknowledging who he is. And so words matter. The words of the songs we're singing. They matter. Well let's look at the last portion of our scripture this morning it's in that next verse verse 44 Nehemiah 12 44 says on that day men were appointed over the storerooms the contributions the first fruits and the tithes to gather the, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites according to the fields of the towns for, the, for Judah rejoiced over the priests And the Levites who ministered and they performed the service of their God and the service of purification as did the singers and the gatekeepers according to the command of David and his son Solomon. So the last thing that we notice this morning is that renewal results in a commitment to serve in whatever way is needed. It's a commitment to serve. You see, musicians were not the only ones to serve during this time of worship. According to these verses, there were people serving to receive the tithes and the offerings, as well as gatekeepers that were working there in the temple. Now, you may be sitting here wondering, say, I'm not a musician. I don't sing. How can I serve during worship? Well, you know what? We've got lots And lots of opportunities to serve during worship. I mean, we have an example here of what our ushers do every Sunday morning, do we not? Our ushers stand at the back and they gather in your tithes and your offerings. They serve in that way to give you an opportunity to obey God and being a good steward. Good steward. So you could serve as an usher. You could also serve as a gatekeeper, although we usually call them greeters. (laughs) Opening the door for people and welcoming them in. But not just, hey, come in. Have a seat. No, guide them to a seat. Help them to know where to sit. If they need to find the nursery, don't say, well, it's... Down the hall, you turn right and then you turn left, and you go past the bathrooms, and then uh, there's a big window and you'll find it there. Well, that's all accurate information. But wouldn't it be better just say, "Let me show you." Or they have small children. Uh, do you have children's church? Oh, we have this ministry called Kid's Time. Your kids will love it. Let me show you where it is, and walk them back there. Help them. Find a place to be seated. And folks, if there's a family that walks in the back doors and there's no place to sit down, it should be a race to see who can get up out of their seat and make room for them. Thank them for being here. Thank them for choosing to worship with us that day. All of these things could be the work of a greeter. But folks, the fact is, is that if. The fact is, too many times we become so consumed with what's going in, going on in our world that we don't even notice when people come in. can't be helpful if we don't know that there is a need for help. So how can we serve? You serve as an usher, as a greeter. Now, some of the things that they didn't have at this time that we do have that you could serve and be a part of is as a children's ministry worker. You could be a teacher or one of the helpers in our kids' time ministry. You could serve in the nursery. Or you could serve as part of the safety and security team. Now, when we first started the safety and security team, um, everybody got excited about that because it's like, oh, I'm going to be packing and I'm going, you know, that's not exactly all that we want to do with safety and security. We want to do things like greet people in the parking lot and tell them which one of our 18 doors they should go into to get into the building. You know, most people don't know for sure. Checking the parking lot, directing them to the uh, correct door. Checking all the doors once the services have begun to make sure that things are secure. We have doors back here that are open early, but we make sure they're closed because we're all out here. And hopefully we're all focused on the word of God, but our children are in the back and we want to keep them safe. That's a part of that team. Or, you know, there are those rare occasions where helping to respond in an emergency situation would be warranted. But just to clarify, that would be, need to be in accordance with the contingency plan that's developed by the safety and security team leader. We don't want vigilantes here, you know. But you can serve in that role. You could serve as a member of our media and technology team say, oh, I'm not technical. Well, that's fine, but you know what? Some of you are very technical, and you would bring so much expertise to our team. We have a group of guys and ladies that sit up in that booth every Sunday, and if you've never been up in that booth, please don't go. It's it's a mess. Um, No, it's, it's hot. They are suffering up there. I promise you. It's hot. And they do it every Sunday. If we have more people who are trained and willing to serve, then they don't have to sit up there every week. They could come down here and sit in one of these soft cushion seats in the air. So what kind of jobs do you have in the media technology team? Well, running sound, running lights, running the presentation software that shows these these uh, slides every Sunday morning. We need people who do graphic design work or audio editing or video editing. Website contributors. We, our, our website did crazy things this week. I, I couldn't get it to do anything. And praise the Lord, Roxanna took care of it and everything's good. Thank you, Roxanna, for your service there. She wouldn't mind having help, though. Social media director, IT technician. Did you know that our IT technician is 75 years old today? Everybody say, happy birthday, Troy. Happy birthday, Troy. Three quarters of a century, and he's our IT guy. And you know what? He knows way more about it than I do. But as he pointed out this morning, I didn't think I'd live this long. What are we gonna do when Troy goes on to see Jesus? Well, his mom's gonna be sad because she's gonna outlive him, I'm sure. (laughs) But what do we do? We need more people helping in these ways. Folks, there are ways to serve. And this only covers what we need to have to have a smooth worship experience on Sunday mornings. There are many other ways that you can serve the Lord here at Temple Baptist Church of Rogers. And if you want to let us know how you are interested in serving, we've got a form that you can fill out and just kind of give us a survey of of what your interests are. Some of you have done that and we appreciate that. But the fact is, there are lots of ways to serve, but service comes out of commitment. And commitment is a result Of renewal and revival in our hearts. Because the fact is, if we are serving God without that renewal and revival, we are serving begrudgingly. And that's a terrible place to be. I want you to love serving because you love God and you love God's people. And then serving becomes a joy. Back to the birthday boy, Brother Troy always says that he loves coming up here and playing with other people's stuff and other people's money. <laughs> when we need something, he's like, oh, this is, this is fun for me. What a, what a joy it is to have an IT guy that comes up and deals with all the problems without complaining because we did something stupid to cause that problem, you know? Colossians chapter 3, verse 17 says, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, however you serve, if you are leading in worship, if you are worshiping whatever it is, God says, Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Later in that same chapter, Colossians 3 23 says. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Let me hasten to say something real quick, folks. When you serve this church in whatever capacity, when you serve this church, you are not serving me. You're not even serving one another. You're serving God. And so when we do this, it says whatever you do, work heartily. That means to work with all your heart. Give it all you've got because you're not serving one another. You're serving God. So let's take a moment. Let's take a moment to remember what's going on here in Nehemiah. You see the exiles who have returned to Judah. They've come back together. And in chapter 8, Ezra reads the law of Moses. He reads God's word to them. They stood there and they listened. But they didn't just listen with their ears. They listened with their hearts. And everyone who was listening understood the word of God. They were all convicted of the ways that they had failed the Lord. And as a result... They immediately obeyed God's instructions. They confessed their sin. They repented of their sin. And they turned to God. And they experienced true renewal and restoration in their broken lives. Just as God had restored the broken walls of Jerusalem, now he's reviving the broken hearts of the people Of Jerusalem and so that renewal resulted in complete commitment to God it resulted in a desire to serve him it resulted in a desire to worship him it resulted in a desire to do anything that God asked of them folks these desires do not make any sense to the person whose heart is in need of revival. I'm going to say that again. These desires do not make any sense to the person whose heart is in need of revival. So this is why we need to focus on God's word. Repent of all the things he convicts us of. And obey his commands, allowing him to transform our lives. What is God asking of you today? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and for the truth therein. I thank you for this passage of scripture that is... A tremendous example of what you want us to do today. Lord, help us to take uh, the example of the people living there in Judah and apply it to our current situation. Lord, help us to see our need to faithfully listen to your word, obey, repent, and commit ourselves wholly to you. Father, I just thank you for the opportunity to serve you. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. So, Father, now as you are dealing with the hearts of people here in, in this room, anyone under the sound of my voice, Father, I just pray that you would show them what it is that you want them to do. And, Lord, give them the courage to step out and to do it. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.